All right, but we're going to talk about focused faith. Focused faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.3. And it says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, let me read it again. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abound toward each other. And so my question was, and where all this came from was, how could Paul tell that their faith and love were growing exceedingly? Is it like we walk around with this meter, this faith and this love meter, and we were like, okay, well, Robin's full, Emily's on a third, you know, Stephen's on a quarter, Steve's, you know, empty, and that's that's laying flat, you know, on the thing. But obviously, if it's something that he could tell that their faith and their love was growing exceedingly, he didn't just say it was growing. He said it was growing exceedingly. So that means there had to be something going on for him to measure what was going on. Amen? How many of you want to know what that is? Amen. So, number one, their faith and love were growing exceedingly. And that word exceedingly is where we get that there's a Greek word, hyper. Does everybody know the word hyper? Anybody have small children? Hyper. Hyper, 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 full energy, run, 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 hyper. So that's that Greek word, hyper. It was growing exceedingly, but it was growing exceedingly under persecutions and tribulations. See, that church was a persecuted church. That church was a church that was living under tribulation. There was negative pressure being applied to this church And yet that's how Paul saw that its faith and love were growing exceedingly because it was growing exceedingly under the worst of circumstances. It shouldn't have been growing there at all. That's like going to the top of Mount Everest and finding a rose bush. There's no way that a rose bush should live or survive the climate, the soil, the atmosphere of being on Mount Everest. But yet here was this church and their love, they weren't just getting by. They weren't just holding their place. Their love and their faith was growing exceedingly under persecution and under tribulation. Number two, they had developed a patience and endurance by keeping their faith focused on Jesus. If you want your faith and your love to grow exceedingly, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the only way that you can do it. You cannot get caught up in the circumstances that are all around you in life. All circumstances want to do is to deflect you, to dissuade you, to move you away from what God has promised you. And so life comes, like today, and why I told you that whole story, there was so much life today that took place. Did anybody, was cancer cured at this basketball game I went to? Was cancer cured? No. 
Was any life saved? No. But yet, it's all of the emotion. I mean, everybody was into it. It still took an emotional toll upon me because of the emotional side, and it's your son playing too. Amen? But it wasn't like a life-changing biblical event. It was almost what should have just been a pastime could have turned into a major distraction. Amen? And so when we are walking and living by faith, you know, I always ask you, what is your faith project? But I'm going to change it up tonight, okay? Can I change it up tonight? Let me ask you this. And you have to ask yourself this question, and it's a very, very hard question, and so you need to be honest with yourself, okay? What are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? Because whatever you're looking forward to, there lies your faith. Is there anything in your life that you're looking forward to? And you have to ask yourself, what is that? Are you looking forward to me being done? <laughs> Luke, when he got in the car, he's like, Dad, I'm so tired. I'm so looking forward to being 9 o'clock, you know, so we can go home and take a shower and, you know, go to bed. But it's important for us to look forward to something. Amen? And I'm going to finish with something at the end, time permitting. But it's very, very important. So, Paul noticed that this church's faith and love was growing exceedingly because it was growing exceedingly under the worst of circumstances and they were gaining patience and endurance through keeping their focus on Jesus. Patience and endurance and those types of things. If I were to do a seminar on patience, do you think I would sell the room out? No. You know, it's like doing a, like, we're going to do a, we're going to do a seminar on fasting. Lunch will be included. You know what I mean? But if we talk about persistence, if we talk about faithfulness, these types of things, patience, you know, nobody is born patient. It is something that has to be developed. Amen. Endurance, each and every one of us, I can tell you in our spiritual, in our spiritual life and in our spiritual walk, each and every one of us needs to up our endurance to the next level. Amen. And if you're kind of wondering right now why you have not, why you're not where you're supposed to be, it's because you have not yet developed the endurance that once you get to where you're supposed to be, that you can maintain it. We want to skip steps. We want to jump ahead. I want to, I want to go here. I want to do this. I want to believe for that. But if God were to give you what that thing is in your heart, have you developed the integrity, the character, Everything else that goes along with being a responsible steward of what you're believing for. Those are hard questions, ladies and gentlemen. Those are hard questions we have to ask ourselves. And I personally know that a big part of our Christian walk is all about just endurance. Do you know that Jesus walked the earth for 30 years and nothing happened? Nothing. He got up. He went to school. He did his homework. He mowed the grass. He tried, he, he, you know what I mean? There was just life. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we're like one experience to the next and one event goes right to the next and we don't realize that sometimes there are years in between one experience and the other. And it's what you do in that middle part 
that's called life that prepares you for what God is wanting to do in your life. Amen? So what am I doing when nothing's moving? What am I doing when it seems like everything's stalled? What am I doing? You're developing patience and endurance. Well, I don't want to. There you go. Amen? Hurry up and be patient. Is there a patient prayer? If I had a prayer line, everybody needs patience. (laughs) I wish I could, but that's one of the only reasons I think that God reached up into eternity and scraped out this thing called time and put it in the earth. Because without time, we would never develop patience. Without time, we would never develop endurance. Without time, we would never develop character. Because that's what time is for. It is not the thing that produces what God puts in us. It is the vehicle that is used to give us the time that we need so that we can become what he wants us to become. Don't resent the process. I wish I could tell you. I wish I knew each one of you in your walk with the Lord. I wish I could tell you, you know, but this is all I can tell you tonight is don't quit and don't give up. Don't get off the path. Don't get off the journey. You have no idea what's on the other side of your obedience. You have no idea what God has stored up and has laid wait, was waiting for you, but he's not going to give it to you until he knows that you can handle it and that it does not destroy you. I love my sons. I have a soon-to-be 19-year-old son, and I have a 13-year-old son. I would not give the 13-year-old son an automatic weapon. He has not learned the respect and the fear of it that goes along with the responsibility of owning a weapon like that. My 19-year-old son, I might, with proper training and skills and those types of things. Why is it? Because Jack's walked 19 more years, and he has a greater respect and understanding. See what I'm saying? See, God does the same thing. You're believing for a new house. If God gave you that new house right now, could you keep it up? Could you afford the insurance? Do you know you have a homeowner's association? Is that thing going to now smother you and kill you and crush you? Is it going to pull you farther away from God? Or is it going to drive you closer to him? So we have to ask ourselves these types of questions. Amen? Time is a good thing, but here's a dirty little secret. Time does not heal all wounds. That's a lie. If you have cancer... Time's not going to heal it. What do you need first? I got to get the cancer out. Then the restoration and the restoring of the body, time is a big part of that. Amen? Five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, there's a healing. But time itself, just leaving a problem doesn't heal the wounds in our hearts. We just take the wounds with us. We have to deal with the offense. We have to deal with the hurts or we're just taking it with us. And that time, it just... Time's not making it better, it's making it ten times worse. Amen? Because then it turns into something far worse. You understand me tonight? Romans 5.3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, glory! Glory! In tribulation. Tribulation. Do you get up every morning and say, I cannot wait for some tribulation? I am so excited. You know what tribulation is? You know what it means? Pressure. The, the, the examples that they use is like a ship that's filled to the fullness 
of, of all it can hold or taking a loose piece of a stack of papers and pressing down and taking out all the air in between the pages. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Like the pressure, it's like somebody, Virgil, <laughs> yeah. somebody pressing down and pushing out all the air and pushing everything out. It's tribulation, it's pressure, it's something that's coming against you. Amen? And the Bible says, I saw that verse and I'm like, glory in tribulation? How about I glory at Starbucks while somebody else has tribulation? I don't want tribulation. Get thee behind me, Satan. Let me read it out of the Amplified. This is hilarious. I encourage everybody, to Romans chapter 5, verse 3, get it out of the Amplified, put it on a little note card, and put it somewhere where you can see it because it's hilarious. Can we put it up there or no? Can you do it out of the Amplified? Romans 5, 3. Moreover, what's it say? Let us also be full of joy when? It's not what you would think when you're glorying in tribulation, is it? Let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patience and unswerving endurance. So what part does tribulation play in a believer's life? It's a big part. Isn't it? Listen, and I've used this analogy many, many times. Weight training in a gym all comes through resistance training. If you want to have big muscles, you have to lift heavy weights. The bigger the muscles, the heavier the weights. There's no other way to get around it. You can take every steroid in the world, but unless you lift something, it's not going to do anything for you. You actually have to get in there and lift heavy, heavy weight. That is the life of a believer. It is resistance training. I am not pinned. I've been pinned under heavy weight before. I'm so glad I had a spotter. Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost is your spotter? Jesus is your spotter? That when you get too much weight on you, he's like, bloop, okay, all right, you're not ready for that one. Let's put that down over here. Let's put this back on now. Okay, there you go. Amen? And so... Christianity is resistance training, but the way that we use our resistance is we use our faith. Say faith, because we're talking about faith. We're talking about focused faith. If I want to work on my shoulders, do I go work on my legs? How do me go working on my legs going to make my shoulders any bigger? Why? I'm not focusing on what I want to grow. When I think about how I want to look and how strong I want to be and what kind of shape I want to be on, I focus on a plan that works specifically for me. And I follow a plan, a written down plan. Amen? I don't just walk into the gym and go, man, I think I'm just going to do a little bit of this. Maybe I'll go over there and do a little bit of that. What, what am I going to look like? Like most of the people that look in the gym right now. Because all the gyms are full in January, trust me. They're all full right now. All the way up until Valentine's Day, those gyms are cranking. You see people with new stuff, and they get in front of you, and they're taking your weights, and you're like, oh, I hate these new people. No. They get in your flow. Amen? And we have to watch that with new Christians when they come into the church. Amen? We're used to being here. We're used to our flow. 
And who's this new person coming and sitting where I sit and doing what I, it's the same thing. Amen? So we have to be conscious about that. So we're going to let us be full of joy now. It's your attitude and tribulation that dictates if you grow or not. When tribulation comes, it is your attitude in the midst of it that dictates whether you will grow or not. Say, Lord, help me. Lord Jesus, help me. It's our attitude. It's what happens when something comes against you. Do you use it to get bigger and to grow and do you move it out of your way? Or do we run from it? Come on. What do we do when pressures, and I'm, I'm not trying to, um, I know that there are very serious things in the room. Amen? Very, and I don't mean to m- make little of those things, but pressure's pressure. Amen? And what we do with that pressure will dictate whether we grow and come out of it or whether we have to go around that mountain again and keep, because you keep dealing with the same problem over and over until you deal with that resistance and with that pressure, it's just going to keep coming. Amen. You, you, we, we get what are called PR. You know what a PR is in the gym? Personal record. We like PRs in the gym. When a guy in the gym, no matter if he's doing a deadlift, a squat, a bench, whatever, when a guy announces, I'm going for my PR, a crowd gathers. It's a big deal. You got guys all around you stopping what they're doing because you are getting ready to get underneath a weight that you've never lifted before. And there's a hush that goes over the crowd. And you take a big breath and you chalk up and you get underneath and you press it and you do it and you get up and the place goes crazy for you if they know you. If they don't know you, then it's just kind of weird. But if they do know you, but how about in here when one of you guys gets a PR, you got underneath something, something you've never been under before. And the crowd gathers around you, the body gathers around you. And you throw that thing up for the first time. And we go, yes, you did it. They said you couldn't do it, but you did. They said you'd never get an education, but you did. They said your marriage was ruined, but it's not. They said your kids were never going to amount to anything or do anything, but they did. You pressed a weight that you've never pressed before. If you hear that Rocky music coming on, dun, 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 dun. Amen? So, what does it mean to glory in tribulation? I'm so glad you asked. It's not what you think it means. Glorying in tribulation, and this is from the Greek, gives you three or four examples of what it truly means to glory. Say glory. Glory. In tribulation. Number one, it means living with your head up high. Glorying in tribulation means, it's like that team we played tonight. They all walked in, they had their heads up. Yeah, we beat you up by 30 points tonight last time. We got you. Their heads were high. They were confident. They were cocky. They took us lightly tonight, and it cost them. Amen? But they had a confidence. What was their confidence? Because they'd beaten us so easily before. So their heads are high. They're not down. They're not moping. They're not sorrowful. They're not sad. They're not depressed. No, their head's held high. They're glorying in it. Number two, it means boasting from a particular vantage point, 
by having the right base of operation to deal successfully with a matter. I'll read that again. Was that too long? Be patient, my child. Boasting from a particular vantage point by having the right base of operation to deal successfully with a matter. And I'll break these down for you. And number three, it says it means living with God-given confidence. Glorying in tribulation means living with God-given confidence. So, biblically, to glory in tribulation means this. Knowing I am not in this alone. To glory in tribulation means to know, when you to glory in tribulation is to know that you're not in it by yourself. Guess what? You have a secret. Now, I'm going to show you a very brief video clip. It takes three minutes. Anybody ever seen The Princess Bride? A million times? So, we'll do this and then we'll, we'll come back. When tribulation comes against you, you have a secret. It thinks you're left-handed. But you have a right hand. Amen? It's knowing when tribulation comes against you that you are not alone. And that even though it's coming at you one way, you have a secret. Amen? You have a secret partner that's with you in the middle of it. Did you also notice that whoever was winning the fight had the what there in that scene? The high ground. See, when we talk about having a different vantage point, when we come under tribulation, we're not looking at it through our earthly eyes. We're looking at it, we have the high ground. And whoever has the high ground wins the battle. Amen? The devil wants you to look at it coming strictly from your human perspective. But no, no, God is saying in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And guess who seated us there? He did. So when tribulation, when persecution, when things come against you, amen, know that you're not in it alone and know that you have a different vantage point. And now know this, that in your disposal, you have everything that you need for whatever that tribulation or pressure is trying to come against you. You are fully supplied, fully armed, and fully capable for any hostile attack that comes against you. You are not powerless. You are not weaponless. You are not a victim. You are the aggressor. You're not getting this. You're the one wearing the robes. You're not the woman with the issue of blood. Oh, if I can just get to Jesus. Oh, if I can just get a touch from Jesus. No, 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 no. In that situation, you're the one wearing the robes. You're the one doing the healing. And that's how we need to see ourselves when, when tribulation and things come against us. And if I don't run, and if I don't give up, and if I stand my ground and I fight, I build this wonderful thing called endurance. Because you have need of endurance. We all need to increase our spiritual endurance. Amen? We cannot be so thin-skinned 
We cannot let so many little bitty things send us to such an emotional wreck. What people call us, perceptions, offenses, those types of things, words. And I know that sometimes words are very, very hateful. But you know what? I heard Creflo Dollar say it. If you're in the circle, you're always going to be offended. If In your world, if you're always in the middle of your world, but when you're not in the center and Jesus is in the center, when someone comes against you, they can say all they want, they can do all they want, but you're just now going to put them in the center where they can receive everything that they need. It's easier said than done. Don't, don't, don't think I'm making light of these types of things. Amen? But it's a matter of seeing persecution and tribulation through his eyes and not through our eyes. Amen? Amen? Did you like the movie? He had a secret. Second Kings, I like this. Let's look at Second Kings chapter 6. And this is the story of um, Elisha. Second Kings chapter 6. And it says, And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. Actually, let's back up to... Uh, The whole story. All right, Second uh, Kings chapter chapter six, beginning in verse fourteen. It said, "So the Syrian king sent their horses, chariots, and a great army. They came by night and surrounded the city." When the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city. Elisha's servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now, would you think if you woke up and your entire city was surrounded by a foreign army with horses, chair, uh, soldiers, archers, the whole nine yards, would you consider that a form of tribulation? Would you feel some pressure? Why? Because you're now surrounded by what appears to be an enemy. But what Elisha did is he prayed to God and he prayed one of the greatest prayers. And I think sometimes we should still pray this prayer. God, open their eyes. And this is what happened when God opened the eyes of Elisha's servant. And uh, verse 17, then Elisha prayed, Lord, I pray you open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. When he opened his eyes, he saw that, that thing that God had surrounded the thing that was trying to surround him. When we go through persecution, tribulation, trials, you need to remind yourself and you need to pray, God, I pray that you surround those things that try to surround me. Because into the natural, it looks like I'm outnumbered. What am I going to do? I'm one man in the middle, and all these soldiers and all these horses, what are we going to do? Open your eyes and see that there be far more for you than there are that are against you. Do you think Elisha and his servant had a little bit of confidence after they saw that? Now, the only advantage they had is they actually saw it. But how many times do we go into situations and they seem hopeless? We seem outnumbered for whatever reason. But you know what? If we just say, God, surround those things that are trying to surround me. 
And God does it every single time. And if we'll be wise, and we'll, as we go through these things, we learn a little bit. Amen. We don't want to react and respond right off the top. We want to stop. When we have pressure come against us, just shut everything down for a second. Don't make a quick decision. We want to, Lord, what do I do? What do I do right now? And Lord, I ain't moving until you tell me. You get bad news about one of your kids? Stop. Don't go into a panic. Don't go into a rush. Don't start throwing clothes in a bag and trying to get on a plane to do something. Stop. Lord, what do I do? And he will direct you and he will guide you and he will lead you and you're going to do it in faith. Amen? Because sometimes in our recklessness, we make it far worse. Amen? We make it far worse than it could have been had we just stopped and looked and listened. Look, you know, Jack broke his collarbone when he was up in college, like his third or fourth week. It took me how many days before I got there? Three days? It took me three days before I got there. Amen? We didn't just stop and drop immediately everything and get up there. There was a plan. His, his collarbone was still broken those three days. It didn't get any better because I got there in three days or whether I got there in one. Does that make sense? Now we want to comfort them. And we, but you know what these phones, man, I mean, it's like we're right there with them all the time anyway. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're talking, we're giving instruction, he's okay, we got there. And you know, everything worked out. Mike and I happened to be in Fort Worth when this happened. I was already halfway there. I was already halfway to Tulsa and was able to put Mike on a plane and me be in Tulsa four and a half hours later and stay there and help him and, you know, and get him all set. And he's 100% fine today. Amen? But it's a matter of what do you do? Michelle and I, we, we stopped, we looked, and we listened. Lord, what do I do? There's a pressure. This is my child, and he's hurt. And he's not, he's not at school. He's in another state. He's never broken a bone. We've never had a broken bone in our family. First one, last one. Had to go to Oklahoma to do it, bless God. Didn't happen in Texas, bless God. Happened in Oklahoma. Amen. But there were more for us than there were against us. Amen. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they got put into that fiery furnace, they weren't in there alone. When that tribulation came against them, who else was in there? Jesus was in there. When you're going through different trials and tribulations, do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith grew after that experience? I'm fireproof. You think Daniel's confidence grew when he came out of the lion's den? I'm lion-proof. Our confidence grows, but you know what? Unless you developed the endurance and the patience and took the time to submit yourself, amen, to be disciplined... You're, you're not ready to get thrown into the fire. You're not ready to go into the lion's den because you're going to start screaming and a hum, you know, oh no, I'm taking you all with me. I'm not going to that fire alone. But you know what? They had faith in the God that brought them there. Amen? This is, and I'll finish with this. One of the other things of glorying in tribulation is knowing who you are in him. You have to know who you are in him. I'm not in this tribulation. David did not go kill Goliath in his own strength. And David did not go kill Goliath because Goliath made fun of David. Yeah. 
David wouldn't kill Goliath because Goliath mocked God. David wasn't out there trying to take care of his own rep. You don't talk to me like that. I'll show you something. My mama doesn't talk to me like that. You know, I'm a man. That's not what David did. David knew who he was in him. David knew his covenant. Goliath didn't. That's why it was so easy for David to defeat him. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I am confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me, I'm going to end with this. It takes faith to believe that God is not done with you yet. It takes faith. It takes faith to believe that God, that the last page of the story of your life has not been written. It takes faith to believe that he's not done with you yet. Now, the reason I asked at the very, very beginning, what are you looking forward to? That's where your hope is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And without hope, if you're not looking forward to anything, it's very easy to slip into depression and anxiety. And this is where suicidal thoughts come from and all that because you have no hope. You need hope. You need Bible hope. You need to be looking forward to something. Amen? That's why you need a faith project. If you have a faith project, it is always going to keep your, you're always going to keep your eyes pointed forward, not behind. I am believing for X, Y, Z. It's in my future. If you'll get your eyes on your future and not on your past, it will break you out of those things that try and haul you back into that dark place. Am I helping anybody tonight? We have to keep our eyes forward, and that's why faith is so important for us, because faith keeps us connected. Faith is the connector to God. It's what connects us to the things of God, all the blessings of God, all the promises of God. I can read them all to you, but unless you believe, unless you do, they're never going to prosper you. Amen? Sound good? Amen. Let's stand up. Hallelujah. Now, hallelujah. If you are hopeless, you have no hope, then uh, would you mind playing for a second? Uh, I'm going to ask you to come down real quick and uh, I'd talk to Michelle that we would just like to we're not going to counsel you. We're not going to, um, we might not say a word at all, but we want to encourage you tonight. Amen. And so we're going to, Robin's going to play a little bit. Um, I will go ahead and dismiss. I am going to ask though when I dismiss that if you would leave the sanctuary so that we could minister down front and do your, um, feel free to fellowship and stuff in the foyer. But if that's you, and if you just feel like you are just hopeless. You have nothing to look forward to. You have nothing to hope for. You're battling this thing every single day. Just getting out of bed is a work of faith. And I'm just going to ask you now just to come down front. Don't be embarrassed. This is what church is for.
And if there's nobody here, then that's wonderful. But if that's you, then uh, you just want Michelle and I will agree with you and put our hands on you and uh, encourage you. But everybody else, uh, Father, thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We plead the blood of Jesus over us. And just thank you, Lord, for this word that it's settled in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.